Welcome to the St. Barnabas Pocket Sermon Podcast. The sermon you're about to listen to is by the Reverend Karen Haig from the third Sunday in Easter. The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus stood among the disciples and said to them, Peace be with you. They were startled and terrified and thought that they were seeing a ghost. He said to them, Why are you frightened, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? Look at my hands and my feet. See that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a ghost does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While in their joy they were disbelieving and still wondering, he said to them, Have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it in their presence. Then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, we've gone back in time here. Last week we heard the story of Thomas, the one who had to see for himself, who needed the experience his companions had had in order to believe. Do you remember? Ten of the eleven remaining disciples were locked in a room, hidden away from the authorities they feared would come for them, just as they had come for Jesus. Thomas hadn't been there that Easter Sunday night when Jesus mysteriously appeared, even though they had locked themselves in. The next week, when his friends told him they'd seen Jesus, Thomas wouldn't believe it. Unless I put my fingers in the mark of the nails and put my hand in his side, I will not believe, he had said. We all know that didn't happen. Once he had the experience of Jesus, he no longer needed the proof he had insisted on. Turns out what he needed was the experience of Jesus. But today, for whatever reason, we've gone back a week to Easter Sunday night. And for just this one week, we've jumped out of John's gospel into Luke's. Who knows why, especially since we don't even get the best part of the chapter. Luke chapter 24 begins early on Easter morning when the woman brought spices to the tomb so they could anoint Jesus' body. In John's account, only Mary Magdalene went to the tomb that Easter morning, but Luke tells us there were several women, lots of witnesses, not just one. 
But they all found the same thing Magdalene found. The stone rolled away, and two angels who said, He is not here, but is risen. Remember, he told you this would happen. I love Luke's gospel for so many reasons, but one is surely because he tells the stories in such a way that he lets us know how the people feel. Do you notice it? The women were perplexed when they saw the stone rolled away and terrified at the sight of the dazzling angels. So when those perplexed and terrified women returned to tell the men, the men pretty much blew them off, calling their account of what had happened an idle tale. That is a bad translation. What they really said was the women were leros. That's Greek for delirious. But even though they jostled and joked amongst themselves about the crazy women, Peter had to go see for himself. He found the tomb empty. We're told he was amazed. Then comes one of my very favorite stories in scripture, the story of Cleopas and his friend who were walking away from Jerusalem. They are sad, Luke tells us, and it's easy to see why. They had seen Jesus crucified just days before. When Jesus died on the cross, everything they'd hoped for, everything they'd worked for, everything they had changed their lives for, died with him. They were so caught up in their sadness that when a stranger came up next to them, they hardly noticed. The stranger asked what they were discussing. The two couldn't believe he didn't know what was going on. Everyone in town knew what had happened to Jesus. But there was this strange thing that happened, they said. The women had astounded them with their story of finding the tomb empty, but for two angels who told them Jesus was alive. And then the stranger said, how slow of heart you are to understand. That is one of my favorite lines in scripture. Oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had declared. It wasn't their minds that should have recognized Jesus. It was their hearts. And while it turns out their hearts were burning inside them as Jesus interpreted the scriptures that had pointed to him all along, they still didn't know it was him. At least not until they asked him in for dinner when he blessed and broke the bread, then disappeared from their sight. Of course, they immediately ran back to Jerusalem to tell the other disciples and found all of them saying that too, that Jesus was alive. And it was while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. That's how our gospel passage today really starts. Not with the words, Jesus himself stood among them and said, peace be with you. But while they were talking about this, about the risen Christ, while they were talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them. 
They were talking about Jesus having been raised from the dead when Jesus himself stood in their midst bringing God's peace. And they thought they were seeing a ghost. They were startled. They were terrified. They wouldn't, they couldn't believe it. Now we know that Thomas was not the only doubter. It shouldn't surprise us, really, even though Jesus had told them again and again that he would suffer, be killed, and three days later be raised from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, they thought everything was over. Death is death. That's what they knew. That's what their life experience had been. That is what had happened. Jesus was dead, and when he died, all their hopes and dreams of the kingdom of heaven died too. That's what they knew. So even though they were talking about resurrection, even though Peter had apparently seen the risen Lord, even though the crazy women had heard it from the angels, even though Cleopas and his friend had recognized Jesus in the breaking of the bread, they still couldn't believe it. So just as Jesus had invited Thomas into the experience he needed, Jesus invited all the other disciples into the experience they needed too. He seemed to read their minds, they thinking they were seeing a ghost. I'm no ghost, he told them. Look at the nail marks in my hands and feet. Touch me and know I am flesh and bones, not an apparition. And as if to prove his point about being very real flesh and blood, he tells them he's hungry and could he please have something to eat? And while in their joy they were disbelieving and still wonder wondering, they watched him eat some fish. And then he began to warm their hearts by saying the things he had said all along, telling them again of all the things Moses and the prophets had said about him. He opened their minds to understand the ancient scriptures so they could hear the truth that he would suffer, die, and raised. The disciples' encounter with the risen Christ didn't begin with someone else's story, a theoretical hope, a doctrine, or a creed. Neither do ours. They begin with experience. For the disciples, it was when their hearts grew warm as the scriptures came alive and were true for them. Finally, finally, they all had their own rich and real experience of the risen Christ and resurrection had come true for them. And from that point on, they were to be witnesses, Jesus told them. Their lives were to be resurrection stories that carried the abiding presence of the living, loving God. This is what it is 
to be Christian community, not a people gathered around facts or ideas, but a people gathered because of their experiences of God. Yes, we have creeds, and yes, we use our good God-given minds to interpret scripture and other wisdom passed down to us, but our minds aren't the places God comes alive. Oh, how foolish you are and slow of heart, Jesus had said to them. Not slow of mind, slow of heart. That is where God comes alive for us, in our hearts. Resurrection isn't something we can prove, isn't something that is knowable or even decidable. Resurrection is the presence of the living God so strong that not even death can diminish it. We are the body of Christ, not because we believe certain things or say certain things or even pray certain things. We are the body of Christ because we practice resurrection. What does it mean to practice resurrection? Jesus had a lot to say about that. To practice resurrection is to proclaim repentance, to turn ourselves around, to reorient ourselves, to point ourselves in the Godward direction, not just with our words, but in the way we live our lives. And once we've repented, turned our lives in the Godward direction, practicing resurrection is, of course, to practice forgiveness, knowing that forgiving sets us free. What was it Jesus said? If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. And then what? will you do with them? To practice resurrection is to love God above all and to want only what God wants. It is to love our neighbor, remembering that everyone is our neighbor. We are to love our neighbors as ourselves, not loving our neighbors as much as ourselves, as much as we love ourselves, which is probably not such a good idea anyway. But to love our neighbors as though they are ourselves, as though we really are all one. To practice resurrection is to bear witness to Christ's resurrection, to tell the resurrection stories from 2,000 years ago and to tell the resurrection stories of our lives today. We practice resurrection by living lives that convey the power of God's redeeming love in the world by the ways we live and love. You see, each time we practice resurrection, each time we repent or forgive or love with abandon, something is being redeemed. Some little part of the world is becoming whole again. And that, my dears, is the way we begin to love the world back into the wholeness God wants for God's beloved 
broken and beautiful world. Amen.